beat drops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks who speak. Making your voice heard, voting, getting out there and participating. It's my last chance to tell you. Hopefully by this point you've already voted. Either way, DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week. Quip and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who's loving those world champion Dodgers, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Yeah, you didn't you didn't ruin it. Hello. Uh, whoo, uh, and hello, everybody in the United States. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, go vote. Let us be your company in line if you're listening to it. And uh, the nationwide voter protection hotline is one eight three 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 six eight six eight three. You have the right to vote. If you run into any issues at your polling place, give that number a call is your nationwide voter protection hotline, and go use your voice. Go vote. Yeah, yes, use your voice. Hey, we have an awesome episode for you this week. I'm so excited. We got tons of games to talk about. We got some fascinating news to talk about, and we have an absolutely stellar guest for you. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, I am so excited because DLC stands for developing legends cross media because we have the founder of reflector entertainment making the upcoming game unknown nine mr alex amancio joining us hey alex hey guys how are you i'm very well thank you and you guys (laughs) glad to hear it um i want to start this episode talking a little bit about you and reflector and unknown nine uh we saw at least the first time i heard of the game was at Gamescom, when Unknown 9's uh, CG announcement trailer uh, debuted. Uh, I don't know if the name, game had been announced before that, but that was the first time I saw it. And boy, it made a big impression. We talked about it here on the show. Uh, but it's more than just a game. You guys are launching this game on next-gen consoles and PC at some point, And that game is going to also have an entire world of other media around it, right? Comic book, podcast. Uh, all, all kinds of things. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and the game is also going to be released in current-gen consoles, uh, by oh, the way. Oh, pardon me. Um, no, no, no. And, um, yeah, so, so our approach is, is really different. Um, at Reflector, what, you know, we focus on the, the building of the, uh, the world building, the universe building. And uh, we figure that the best way to sort of lead up to, uh, to the upcoming game is to immerse players and fans into the world even before they get there. So yeah, we're, we have a series of comics books that we're working on. We have a novel trilogy. We have a podcast, three seasons that are upcoming. Uh, we have this uh, entire web platform that we're building with tons of content, web series. And, um, you know, all of this stuff, we're developing a film. And all of this stuff is, is built around the same world. And unlike 
traditional initiatives where you'd you know have a game and then you'd adapt it into a film or a TV series or in, or have a book and adapt it into a game in the case of The Witcher for example what we're doing is all, each of these stories are actually parallel they're not redundant so it's not the mm-hmm. same story that you're getting on the comic book and the video game but um, so they're all standalone but if you start consuming one after the other um, depending on which ones you consume you get a whole different perspective on the characters the universe the mythology it's like you're building, you know, your Star Wars universe all at once. It's it's uh it's pretty wild and ambitious, and I wonder what kinds of challenges that 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 brings about. I mean, it it seems like, you know, you want to have each of these be compelling, but do you start with do you start with stories of characters or do you start building out what the world is first and then fill in stories from there? That's a really good question. So the way we did it is we started off with um, with this core concept. I believe that for for a, for a universe to be um, to, to sort of be relevant to the, the the current times, it has to you have to be able to distill it to a very simple idea. And once you have that, you sort of start building around that core. Um, in the case of Unknown Nine, it's all about it's all about human transcendence. It's all about the this this. Um, this crux that we're in right now where, you know, we've, we've, we're essentially becoming as a species, we're becoming gods. You know, we have power over every, every week you read a new article and we have power over a different area of science. And yet human nature um, is very slow to evolve. And we're, we're getting to this point where it's either we, we transcend those inherent flaws and we become something else, or we risk uh, collapsing under the weight of our, of, of the, the tech and, and all of the stuff that we're building and the, the burden that we're having on everything. So once we have that core, you start sort of building the the myth, um, the, the the lore, uh, the rules of the universe. You know, are there powers? Is there you know how does the world work? Is there is are we set in the realistic world? Is it the real world? Um, what elements um, are different from the actual world? And you start layering that up, and then you start building the history of the world, its mythology, its its uh, key characters. And once you sort of have all of that, which literally represented a, a, a about 150 page story Bible or universe Bible, um, we look for um, talent in each of these different fields that we where we feel that there's cool stories to be told. Obviously, we have a, an internal video game experience, uh, given my background and a lot of the team's background. So we go and find who would be the perfect um, novelist to help uh, bring this world to life in that medium? Who's the perfect um, writer for comic books and artists and et cetera? And we get these people around a table. We brainstorm for you know a few days uh, around the universe, around the, these different themes, around the meta story that we want to build across all of these products. We, we call it a story cycle. Think of it like um, the, it's the equivalent of a season for a TV series, but uh, it's a season for a transmedia initiative and uh, we call it a story cycle. And so we, you know, these people uh, brainstorm, we each come up with different stories and threads that crisscross one another. Um, and then, yeah, and then we get to building and then it's all a, a question of, um, you know, keeping everybody uh, in the loop, uh, being, you know, making sure that uh, we're there for questions and we, we sort of like guide these authors and, um, you know, um, yeah, it becomes at one point, once you're advanced enough in each of these different initiatives, it becomes more like, a, uh, you know, you, you focus on each individual initiative rather than the whole. So it becomes more standard. The beginning yeah. is very different, though. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the the 
properties having high level talent. Leighton Green, I guess, is the the trilogy of novel, the writer for the trilogy of novels. Um, we have the the writers from Ten Cloverfield Lane uh, doing the a TV or a um, a a film, mm-hmm. and uh, the executive producer of the TV show is going to be Tim Kring of Heroes fame. So a very very well known and uh, established uh, talent. I, I got to imagine that the timetables in making all of these different kinds of things can be difficult. Like making a video game is a completely different kind of timetable than making a comic book, for example. Is there are there challenges involved in you know when these things are going to come out and what part of the story they are, what side of the universe you're telling, and kind of coordinating how people are brought into that universe and what information they get from each of the different transmedia properties. Yeah. And, and that was part of the, um, the initial um, sort of uh, concept. Um, how do we, you know, how do you um, structure these stories in a way where they can be consumed in different orders? So one thing that we learned very, very quickly is never rely on a cliffhanger to <laughs> introduce something else, right? If, if yeah. the big, if the big surprise of the, um, you know, the, the video game, it comes from the ending of the book, then that forces you to consume the book. And this is really contrary to the way that we're structuring it. We want people to be able to, you know, if somebody comes at it from the, the as a, from a reader perspective, right, from a, you know, somebody likes to read novels, they can, you know, find the first novel by Leighton and they can read it, they can, they can love it, they can read the trilogy and never want to consume anything more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they would have a self-contained story. They would get it. They, they wouldn't feel like they're missing out. But then once you, you sort of get into a world, you, you, you meet characters and you, you get a glimpse of a larger world that you might think is interesting. And then you learn that there's a comic book that features maybe some of the side characters and would give you some, a lot more details on a certain aspect of the story or, or the deep lore, which would encourage you to then go and explore the comic book. Um, you know, same thing if you're coming at it from the video game um, side of things. You know, maybe you you play the video game and you, you you fall in love with this this deep lore, and you realize that there's actually one of the characters that you loved in the game, uh, where or or an event where you get a whole different perspective on that that event if you just listen to the podcasts. So that that's the 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 way that we've um, that we've written them. And then the logistics of it is, is yes, yeah, it's, it's really complicated because, you know, obviously a video game can take, you know, two, three, four years to make. And, um, you know, comic books have very different cycles. So it's all about making sure that you plan way ahead in advance, that you map out your, your entire release schedule, that you time it with, um, you know, the appropriate narrative beats so that people can get excited about, uh, you know, another product. Um, yeah, so and it's a learning experience because what we're doing is really pioneering in terms of storytelling. And the funny part is, uh, there's you know I, I've often had to answer a question that um, I think is really relevant, which is um, why are you trying to do so many things? Uh, why not focus on one? Uh, mm-hmm. But the answer to that is this is one thing, right? We, we are <sighs> telling we're telling one meta story, um, and it's it's just that we changed our perspective rather than looking at um, at the, the world and the characters through the lens of individual media, you look at it agnostically. We're building a mythology and the mythology can have many different, uh, um, you know, ways of, of, of manifesting. So whether it's a comic or a novel or a video game or a film, these are just different, uh, devices to tell 
one thing, which is um, this evolving, living, breathing universe. So, you know, you got to think of what we're doing more like it's a symphony and each individual medium is, is like, uh, it's a section in that orchestra that's playing a theme. And another aspect of it, as you said, living, breathing, it it seems to be that, that you want the people experiencing it, the players of the video game, the people experiencing the, all the transmedia elements to have some influence on where that story goes. Is that correct? Yes. And I think that this is also part of the way that um, entertainment is evolving and how consumers are evolving. Um, if you looked at, I mean, even 15 years back or 10 years back, uh, the world was very different. Um, it was very easy for, for um, creators to essentially broadcast what they're doing to the audience, but it was more like a, it was a one-way street. Today, because of the way that people consume using their smart devices, it's no longer a one-way street. It's, it's, it's a multi-lane highway by direction yeah. with different hubs, and it goes in all these different directions. So fans, I think, have become used to, um, to, to, to participating. And whether you want them to or not, they will talk about it. They will theorize. So this is just leveraging that new technology to give them a voice. So uh, what, what you're talking about, this audience collaboration, is something that we plan on achieving through the platform that we're building. Well, I'll tell you, you know, just in my own anecdotal uh, experience, I, I, I do a, a Dungeons and Dragons show where I'm the dungeon master. I'm creating this entire world and leading characters through a big epic story. And because it's serialized and because we have a really passionate fan base who's guessing about the next steps and theorizing about uh, the way players will react and what will happen next, I have I have learned that that is absolutely a gift. It's it's an amazing um, opportunity to incorporate the audience into the storytelling. And we have all these hooks in our game to allow that. And I, I can only imagine that on the scale you're talking about with all these different kinds of properties that it actually might be really invigorating from the creative side to actually incorporate the wisdom of the crowds, you know, a bit into your, into the, just the impulses and, and uh, inspirations that generate more of the story of the world it is and it's funny that you uh, mentioned that example because i i, I played D growing up a lot and I, I i've dungeon mastered i've been a player and i think that maybe this this um this way of looking at narrative i think might come from my role-playing game days mm. wow. uh, it's just something that you develop isn't it like i mean you were yes. mentioning it it's such a natural thing it, it you're telling a story and you have it in your mind, but then when you see how people react to it and you see where they're heading, it, it creates clear paths where you, you, you know, golden paths that, that are better than what you would have thought of in a silo. And yes. that's exactly what we're trying to create with this. It's really cool. I've often thought, you know, in, in my experience doing it, that it's almost unfortunate that uh, you know, TV series. I, I always compare it to Lost because Lost to me is the exact is the perfect example of something I do not want to do. <laughs> you know, which is like it was so reactionary, but like late to the. You know, they were kind of trying to make sure that people didn't weren't on the path of what they were trying to do, and it it felt like they were always a step behind the audience, and it just felt like if they had just synced up and kind of allowed that community that built around that show, I guess it was just a little ahead of its time or a little premature to this notion um but i felt like it it, you know it had that opportunity and it's awesome to see you and and a a property that this is this broad um embracing that idea because i think that will ultimately make for a 
a really compelling experience from an audience perspective as well. No, thanks. And I agree with you wholeheartedly about Lost. I, I have the same analysis of it. And uh, it seems that they, they tried so hard to do that, that they ended up collapsing under the weight of their own mythology. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 That's that's how it feels to me as well. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit more in detail about what Unknown Nine is because I think uh, the the trailer that has come out so far super compelling, so interesting. That girl uh, sort of discovering powers that she has uh, really, I was immediately intrigued, but I don't have a sense of exactly what the game is going to be. Here we are on a video game podcast. Let's talk about the game. Um, <laughs> And I know that you obviously have lots of experience working on the Assassin's Creed franchise. Is it going to, is the Unknown Nine video game going to be a third person action adventure game like that? So, um, so first the, 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 the teaser that we released, right? That was intentionally, um, very cryptic. And mm. the, the main objective of that teaser was to introduce Haruna. Uh, which is the character that uh, the 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 girl that uh, that stars in it, and uh, and we really want to make sure that uh, we're we're going to do a, a slow sort of uh, um, reveal for the game because we mm. want people to you know we want to take our time and we want people to absorb the universe and we're doing it in a way that we think is the most authentic way to the to the way that we're we're um, we're unfolding this universe um, now. I can tell you just a little bit uh, because I don't want to. I, I don't want to ruin any of the things that we are that we're planning on on, on doing in the in the you know weeks to come, uh, weeks and months to come. But um, I can tell you that it is a third person action adventure title. Um, and unlike Assassin's Creed, though, which is it's more of a uh, sort of a, um, open world type game, this game is a little bit more intimate. It's a narrative driven game which isn't to say that uh it uh it will be um um it will be you know like a, a, a like a walking simulator or whatnot like we have a right. team that has a strong background our team is is comprised of people that uh made uh, assassin's creed far cry uh we have people from uh batman we have people from um tomb raider so it's people with very, very uh, big backgrounds in robust gameplay games. So think of it like in the veins of uh, a Jedi Fallen Order or a, an Uncharted type game. Yeah, definitely games that we love here on DLC. <laughs> so that's very exciting. Um, I also, one of the things that I immediately piqued my interest when I heard about this project and heard about Reflector is that you teamed with one of the creators of Cirque du Soleil to create this company. Um, Guy Liberté, is that how I pronounce it? It's Guy Liberté, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Pardon me. I, I knew I wasn't going to get that right. <laughs> uh, so tell me about that, that relationship. Did you, did you, were you working with him before this project? How did this project come together? And, and working with um, a, a mind that works in that kind of way, I, I must be very interesting. Yeah, it it, uh, it definitely is, and so it was a complete chance um, encounter. Um, you know, my wife actually worked at Cirque du Soleil, but she didn't know him at all. Um, uh, and I knew of Cirque du Soleil. I've seen some shows, obviously, because you know I went to a lot of the premieres with my wife. But I, I had never, um, I had never um, done anything in that space. And at one point, after Assassin's Creed Unity, which was the last game that I, I made at, uh, at Ubisoft, 
it was a huge game. <clears throat> we had about a thousand people working on that across wow. ten studios. Uh, yeah, My it goodness. was. Uh, yeah, three continents. It's <laughs> so, wild. Yeah, 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 I mean, and and I had promised myself, and a year before it chipped, I, I already I told you, be like, this is probably going to be my last one. I had this idea, this transmedia concept in my mind that I wanted to sort of explore, and I had. In all honesty, I started exploring it a little bit at Ubisoft. And, um, you know, if you look at the Assassin's Creed franchise, um, there is a lot of, uh, you know, forerunning done uh, on the transmedia uh, level. Like uh, we, we really paid a lot of attention to the, you know, the comics that we were creating, the, the novels, rather than just li- licensing them out, we were really collaborating with the creatives. But I always felt that I was limited simply because of the fact that you know, Ubisoft was first and foremost a company that viewed itself as a video game company, and I felt that if you create a company that uh, views itself uh, agnostic from the media it creates, if you if you view yourself um, through the lens of the what the value that you're creating, which is building worlds, I think that it opened up a lot of opportunities, and I wanted to explore that. I had no idea how I was going to do it, um, <laughs> but I figured that you know what. Uh, if I don't try, um, I'll always regret it. So I left Ubisoft then and uh, started building the, um, the foundations uh, for Reflectors, started building the um, sort of the core elements of Unknown 9. It wasn't called that yet, uh, but all of the core principles, a lot of the, the, the myths, a lot of the different rules and, and um, that, that, you know, were later, uh, that later became Unknown 9 were already there. And then <clears throat> I was contacted by somebody that I knew for, from a while ago, actually from Ubisoft, uh, calls me up and says, look, uh, Gila Liberté, uh, the founder of Sergio Soleil, is looking for a creative for uh, for this project. I can't tell you anything about it. It's, um, But uh, you know, I, I was asked to find the best creative director in Montreal, and I'm calling you. I'm like, well, I'm really, really flattered, but <laughs> I'm not certain you have the right guy. Uh, I, I, I've never, I mean, I've seen shows, but I, I have nothing, no knowledge of the live space. And the guy tells me, look, no, 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 this is, this is not uh, Cirque du Soleil related. It's something completely different. And I think it requires a, a, a set of skills, uh, asymmetrical set of skills that I think you possess. So I think that you're the right guy for this particular job. And I said, okay, you, you've piqued my curiosity. So I, I, I met with Guy, and uh, it was this uh, really broad project about, um, you know, there were some social elements to it. There were some architectural elements to it. There were some, uh, you know, digital, very, uh, very, uh, some industrial design elements to it. It was this huge, very, very ambitious project that wasn't really in the entertainment sphere. Um, and uh, I said, look, I, 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 this is great. And I'm really interested in, in I'd be really interested in doing this, but I've, I've sort of left the company to do something on my own. I wouldn't feel, even though this is an amazing opportunity, I'd feel weird, you know, leaving a company and then giving up on my dream two months later to do something else. And this is when you said, look, I, I don't need you to be exclusive. You can help me out with this project. And, um, and in parallel, you can do whatever you want. And so I thought about it, decided to agree to it. And about six months later, um, you know, I'm I'm pitching the deck for this project that uh, I'm working uh, with Gion, and um, and he goes, okay, this is I like this, I love this. So, tell me, what is this other thing you're working on? And I I pitched Reflector to him, and he says, look, I have this, I have this idea. Um, I would I would like you to come become the chief creative of my my this initiative that I'm starting up. And um, it's essentially a holding company, and he had a lot of different projects that he wanted to manifest. And in exchange, I'll you know I'll, I'll be your partner on Reflector. 
And so I agreed. And we, we did that for, uh, for a few years. I sort of had these two hats. Um, I was uh, the chief creative of, of Geese Holding. And at the same time, I was uh, building up Reflector. Very cool. That is so cool. And I mean, have you now learned a bit more about uh, the Cirque du Soleil world and the, and the live space, or are you sort of still in your, yeah, I, I want, I'm just curious about what that working relationship is like. It yeah. sounds like it's a very positive one, but I'm wondering how it has in, influenced you or, or um, you know, been reflected to use a word in your uh, work. Uh, yeah, it, it, I did. I, I did learn. And, you know, when I started working with Guy, he had sold, he had just sold his, uh, his interest in Cirque du Soleil. So, um, uh, but obviously the, the projects that he was working on had a lot to do with uh, the physical space, um, which was something that I always thought was interesting, but I, I didn't have a lot of, uh, of knowledge about. But here's the thing. W- once you start delving into that world, you realize that there's a lot more in common with games than one might think. Video mm. games are such a complex endeavor that, in my experience, um, whenever I've seen people um, that that come from the gaming world try um, other um, sort of forms, I feel that they often have an edge just because the video game industry has so many working parts and so many different uh, trades all simultaneously working on one single thing. You know, there's engineers, there's animators, there's artists, there's level designers, you know, game designers, uh, and, and so forth, you know, writers. And and to, to have to coordinate all of this together, to have to understand, have enough working knowledge to understand uh, every single one of these different departments to be able to do your job forces you to live outside your comfort zone. Uh, on a daily basis. And I, I think that this, this is really an edge when you're trying to do anything else. So to, to, to answer your question directly, um, like one of the initiatives, like, I mean, COVID has obviously put a, a, a little bit of a halt to that, but one of the initiatives that we're doing with Unknown 9 is in the live space. Oh, wow. And, um, and we, we had, we were, we were doing a very, very ambitious uh, thing at South by Southwest this year. We were going to take over South by Southwest. Everything was set up. Um, it, it, this was like arguably one of the most ambitious activations in the city of Austin that, you know, had ever been attempted at the South by Southwest oh, wow. and less than a week before launch, we had people on the ground there from different countries. Uh, we had a team from Sweden there, these awesome guys that are, that are experts in that sort of stuff. And, um, and a week before South by Southwest, it was canceled. This is where COVID started. If you remember yeah. Yeah. And, um, but nothing is lost. Like all of that stuff we've put in storage and hopefully once the world becomes safe again, once the, the apocalypse yeah. halts, comes to a screeching halt, hopefully very soon, uh, maybe we'll be able to, uh, to attempt it again. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, that, that sounds really cool. And I'm very curious as to how that, that, that would all uh, come together. I, 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 you can probably tell I'm just a huge Cirque du Soleil fan and, and theater nerd, you know, a theater kid at, at heart. So, uh, just the idea of marrying, you know, these two loves of my video games and, and, uh, you know, live performance is such a fascinating concept in and of itself. I'm very curious as to how that would be. Um, and I mean, it's, it's a real shame about this, this whole COVID thing, because I think people need that people need to get yeah. together in spaces. And, you know, there's an energy that, that comes from having people in the same place physically that I think that we're, we're sorely lacking right now. I agree hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's lovely that everybody's trying to do virtual conventions and stuff like that, but there's just nothing, no way to, to rec- recreate that experience of being in a place with a person seeing a thing, you know, it's, yep, yep. it's hard. 
Um, awesome. Well, we're both really excited about Unknown Nine. I know I'm I'm super excited to hear more about it. And and you will be, as you said, you will be rolling out more information soon, right? Yep, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit, that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com, or by hanging out in our Discord, that is 5x5dlc, on Discord as well. Great folks in all those places, uh, especially the email. Um, <laughs> I encourage you to join the community. All right, Alex, you are a guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, we'd talk about the PS5. Yes, the PS5 is uh, doing well. <laughs> we got we got news that pre-sales of the PlayStation 5 are absolutely dwarfing those of the PlayStation 4. Uh, evidently, according to Reuters, Sony pre-sold as many PlayStation 5 consoles in the first 12 hours in the United States as in the first 12 weeks of pre-orders for PlayStation 4. There is some concern that they won't have uh, enough on hand to fill the demand, but the demand certainly is uh, rising. We've seen um, we've seen some consoles hit uh, some influencers and in, in giving their first impressions. Alex, tell me what what you think of how this console launch is, is rolling out during COVID. I mean, there's, there's a bit of a, um, a take that maybe it's actually increasing people's desire to get a hold of these consoles because we're all stuck at home and playing video games is a pretty good idea. Oh, for sure. And uh, I think that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible for most industries. I mean, um, anything that has to do with people actually leaving the house, you know, restaurants, bars, you know, like theater, cinema, but people are stuck in house. So um, uh, they're going to play games. That's what they're going to be doing. Um, uh, it, it's also not only is it a is it a a cool experience to pass the time, but you can also have there's a social element to it, which I think is really helping um, you know video games. But I'm what I'm also really impressed about is the fact that I mean I remember not too long ago discussions about you know are, is there going to be another generation of consoles? Is everything just going to go right. cloud? Uh, and I think that the what we've seen is is like I mean the the, the the direct opposite. I mean, rather than than sort of uh, people people seeming to switch over to more cloud based, I think this this shows that people still want to have a console in their homes. Yeah, I think that is absolutely the case, and uh, we see the same thing with the Xbox new Xbox console. It's selling much quicker, and and um, people are excited to have new consoles. I think it's the, you know I think this this generation lasted maybe just slightly longer than last. I think people are, are ready and amped for new consoles. I'm so curious as somebody who is actively making a game for this generation, obviously you said it's also going to be on current gen, but um, can you maybe give us some insight from a developer's point of view as to what these boxes are really going to allow? I mean, obviously we know about faster load times and 4k and ray tracing, but are you, are you excited about the new power that, you'll be able to exploit? 
Yes. And, and, um, you know, one of, obviously there's going to be, uh, you know, amazing graphics and, you know, you can have a lot <clears throat> more complex AI and a lot of the stuff that, that is really, you know, heavy on, on the system. I think you can just crank that up. Uh, but I think that one of the biggest benefits is, is the, um, the way that, um, the experience is going to feel more polished in the sense that you won't have that, um, sort of jagged experience where, you know, we've gotten used to it because it's a, it's a technical limitation while you're going somewhere, it stops, it loads, you know, there's, there's little jitters, like having a seamless experience that where you start off the game and you are able to just continue that and, and never be sort of yanked out of that immersion, I yeah. think is going to have a, a, an amazing impact, especially on games that rely a lot on, on, um, um, you know, emotion and, uh, and immersion. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. I mean, it, we won't even have long elevator rides anymore, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's really going to be even games that are attempting to be seamless still have those little bits of, well, you have to wait here for just a second, you know, and even that removing that, I think will be a dramatic improvement. Absolutely. Uh, Christian Spicer, what do you think, man? Uh, PlayStation five selling like gangbusters in pre-sales, uh, do you attribute that to people just ready for the next gen or COVID or all of the above? What, what's your take? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. I've, I know I, I'm very excited for it. It, it. It's weird because I think the pent up demand is there and the excitement is there. But again, only speaking for myself, it also feels surreal that it's next week, right? <laughs> I know, right? Um, wow. And so it, it's like, yeah, it's, I'm so excited. And it's like, oh, oh no, it's like, it's now. It is. So there's, there's a little bit of a weird disconnect for me. I did set my time at my local Best Buy to go do my early morning um, pickup. Um, and, and I hope that everybody that pre-ordered is able to get there. So I've talked about, you know, my, um, I don't tweet about it as much, but I talked about it on the show a little bit, like my uh, four wheel, four by four wheeling. And I, I love cars. I talked about the Bronco. And they have tons and tons of pre-orders for that too. And they keep changing dealership allocations and what's going to be a model year 2021 and what gets a model year 2022. And if you and it's like things that can make a diehard fan base angry is jerking them around by the chain as to when they're going to get the thing they've wanted for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I hope that Sony doesn't experience similar fallout i hope that production is is has gone well in stores and it oversell i know some folks got that amazon email where it's like yeah you might not get it <laughs> um when you think you will and i think covid is certainly uh, you know an impact there as well in shipping times and, and lead times but it is good to see some press and some influencers with boxes and you know it, it looks like things are are on track and i think a lot of that demand is sony has made what seems to be an incredible product. Um, I know my family just moved into our PS5. It's big enough for all four of us, so we fit, <laughs> we fit comfortably. The fans are great. Um, but they have a compelling product. The DualSense controller is getting rave reviews. Um, Miles Morales looks great. Launching with Demon Souls is you know, something that has been clamored for. Astrobot is kind of as like a pack-in. Like it seems like they are launching with something that speaks to their core audience and then is supported by uh fantastic third-party offerings as well um so i i think the demand makes sense people are ready and, and we are at home and my goodness do we need distractions you know <laughs> yeah no kidding i wonder also if part of the reason that these pre-orders have have uh done so well especially in comparison to playstation 4 is the two 
skews. I wonder if having that lower entry point option is allowing more people to jump in early, you know, and it'll be interesting to see if they release data as to the breakdown of which console. I mean, I think obviously with pre-orders and with, you know, pre-release hype, a lot of that is whatever's available gets snatched up. So it maybe is not as representative of, of what people want, but I do think that having that, that lower price point uh, probably had some positive effect on the, on the sales numbers. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad, I, I think it's a great idea to have done that. And I'm really glad they didn't make the, um, the mistake that I, well, from my perspective, anyways, from a developer's perspective, it was a huge mistake that uh, Xbox had made with uh, a few generations ago with the, remember with the optional hard drive? Yeah. That yeah. was horrible for development because you needed, that was the lowest common denominator and your game Man. needed to work on that. So it, it, it never allowed us, especially early on in the generation to take full advantage of, of tech because we were always limited by that, you know, you know, a driverless Xbox. This right. essentially just, I mean, it's whether you want a disc or you download the game makes no difference. Right. So at least they, they, they were able to offer that lower price point, but without hurting the developers. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, let's take a break now and thank our first sponsor, which is Squarespace. Uh, if you have any reason to make a website, let's say you're launching your own transmedia empire. Hey, you're going to need some websites for that. I highly suggest using Squarespace. It's just the easiest way to create a website. If you have any any idea that you want to put on the online, if you even want to sell things in a store, you want to blog or publish content, showcase your work, even if it's just a temporary uh, one-time event, use Squarespace, put up a website. It'll look beautiful. You'll be able to make it your own. And it'll be so simple. You, there's no no reason to use any other service. There's no reason to learn HTML. There's no reason to hire somebody who's probably going to be pretty expensive to design your website for you. You can do it yourself. It's simple because the tools make it easy. Squarespace's tools. What you do is you start with a beautiful template that's created by expert designers. And then you just start messing with it. It's so simple. You just drag and drop, move stuff around. You don't have to code. You don't have to do anything other than just drag what you want, slide things around, make it your own, make it unique, make it yours. Do it yourself. It's so simple. Plus, like I said, you can drop in powerful e-commerce functionality, let you sell anything online. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't have to worry about any of that. There's never anything to update or patch. That's all handled in the background for you. It's fantastic. Plus, if you run into any problems, 24-7 award-winning customer support makes it simple. They'll solve your issues for you. I've been using Squarespace for over a decade. I love it. JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. I recommend it to all my friends and family whenever they need a website. It's just the easiest, best way to build anything online. Plus, you can buy domains at Squarespace and choose from over 200 extensions so you can get exactly the domain that you want. So do it yourself. Head over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me for a free trial. You don't even have to give them your credit card. They're not going to automatically charge you. You just start building it for free. And then when you're ready to launch, use our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. 
Again, that's squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? I mean, it's it's just that I'm right. That's all I really wanted to, to talk about. Like, we, we don't have to spend mm. a lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. But after waffling on it a little more recently, but after predicting it way back in, what was it, January of, of 2020, when, like, everything was looking good, the world was bright and sunny, it was a new year, um, Cyberpunk 2077 was it has been delayed yet again, a short little delay, Uh Interesting only because I predicted it. That's the only reason it's interesting. Um, also, maybe interesting because this delay happened after the game went gold or was announced yeah. as going gold. And never apparently, heard of such a thing. That's a wild thing. It's the game is gold. Nope, it's delayed. I've never heard of that. It, it, yeah, and apparently, we found out the same time a lot of the devs working on the game <laughs> found out, which I imagine yeah. was also a wild thing and then uh reports after that kind of said well the part of the reason is to get it to work really well on current gen consoles our goal is always to hit that 90 plus metacritic and we didn't feel the experience was quite there on current gens we needed to give it a little bit more time um but again i'm I'm really only bringing this up just because i was right (laughs) (laughs) you did you can't you you know as I've said, I think a number of times now, the one thing that you can't ever go wrong on is is predicting a delay in 2020. I mean, that, that, that was... <laughs> but uh, when I made was, the prediction in January 2020, that was something you could go wrong on, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah. I got a lot wrong this year. Um, <laughs> but this one thing I got right. Uh, Alex, you mentioned the the challenge of, you know, uh, uh, designing for the lowest common denominator with the, with the example of the hard driveless uh, Xbox. Uh, it sounds like, you know, at least the the messaging out of CD Projekt Red is that, you know, the, the game sort of became a next gen game in the late stages of development and they're having a harder time um, making that on current gen. Can you speak to that or, or even speak to the, uh, the difficulty in making the call on when to announce a delay on a game? Yeah, and... Um, I think that the, 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 the timing of it made it very difficult for them. Um, it's, you know, you start making a game years in advance and you can't really rely on, uh, you know, like nobody knew the consoles. I mean, we could guess, we could, um, we, we thought that the new consoles might be released at a certain time, but you never know until they actually announce it. So when you start making a game, you, you, you start with the, the best knowledge that you currently have. And then, you know, new consoles are announced and the expectations just go through the roof. And something that might have been perceived as a masterpiece, all of a sudden, because reality has changed now, uh, you know, could be considered subpar. So you do have to react. And, and it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to do once you, you know, once that development train starts rolling, it's difficult to stop. Um, so um, I think they ultimately, the best decision any company can make is to um to make to 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 sacrifice whatever it takes to get the best possible product and i think that the decision that cg cd project red made it it ultimately will benefit fans and i think um, they i don't think they should be blamed for it i think they should be applauded for it afterwards you know you know could they have avoided the latest delay whatever i mean that only they know but I, i i don't i don't think you should blame a company for um you know delaying a product, taking a financial hit to make sure that they get the best possible product out there. And, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a tough one. Um, 
Yeah, it's a wild thing to to see a delay. Really, the delay is meant to improve the day one patch at this point, right? That's that's kind of what they're working on. Can you can you explain? You know, twenty one days. It just doesn't seem like that much time. Can you can you help us understand uh, how much can change in twenty one days? A lot, especially when you have a big team working a lot, like you wouldn't imagine. And the thing is, you need to understand, like you need to send the, the game submissions to the first parties in advance so that you go through the, the submissions. And at the, the moment you send these submissions, you, you're still already, you're already working on the next version of it. You know, sometimes mm. you will, you will even send a version that you know you're going to fail just so it buys you time to, 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 to have a second submission. Uh, I mean, obviously not all companies, um, you know, do it like this. And it really depends on the, the DNA and the specific strategy. But when you're really trying to push the, the envelope, it's difficult not to do it this way because you just want to get as much as you can in there. And sometimes you're over ambitious and you try a little too hard and you get, um, you know, negative consequences. The patch ends up being big and the game ends up being buggy. And I, I, I for one, can speak for that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> U- Unity was, was, uh, was a really, really uh, tough, uh, you know, plane to land. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, the reason people, people now are, are, are playing the game and, and they're saying, my God, like it, it's, it still looks great and it still feels great today. Well, that came at a cost. That means that we, you know, we were developing a new engine. We were, uh, you know, simultaneously developing a first new gen- next generation uh, uh, title. So all of that stuff has its toll and, and, and you can't have, and you can't make something that pushes the envelope without taking those risks. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But ultimately, you know, um, at the time we chose to, to, to maintain that date. Um, there, was, there were other factors that were involved that I, I don't think CD Projekt, uh, you know, Red has to deal with. You know, like the, the game actually was shipped with certain consoles. So it's not like you yeah. could delay it. But ultimately, when a company has the choice, um, it's always better to just, you know, delay it a little bit and make sure that you get everything you want in there. But is yeah. that a difficult choice to make? Is that a hard call to go? Okay, yeah. we really need to. Yeah, it's a, there's consequences. There's a, there's there's yeah. monetary consequences. I mean, um, what happens to your marketing campaign? What happens to your yeah. you know your sales expectations? Maybe there's windows. Maybe you're you're now that you've moved it. I mean, it, it might not be the case with with Cyberpunk, but maybe you move your title, and all of a sudden you're you're too close to a huge competitor, and that will have an impact on sales. And then if you don't you know, you don't hit your sales, you know, are you going to, are you going to be able to stay healthy enough to be able to make the next one? Or, um, you know, of course everything is sort of connected and ultimately, uh, you know, fans have to understand that people that work in the gaming industry, developers, you know, it's a, it's a tough job. I mean, yeah, you can say like you're making games for a living and it's true. I mean, uh, there are no complaints here and, and, uh, you know, I love my job. But it is, it's, it's a grueling one and one that nobody works in the, no, nobody that I know works in the gaming industry because they're just out for a job. Everybody, yeah. it's always passion, passion. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so ultimately it, it you know, we, we take everything we do to heart. Um, it, it's really heartbreaking when the thing you've been working on for four years, sometimes five years, even over that, um, you know, gets hammered because of stuff that maybe could have been avoided. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. 
Fascinating. I, I love hearing your insights into that. Go ahead, Christian. Let's just circle back to I was right. Okay. I mean, that's really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other time, you know, a little tidbit about this story that I wanted to, to mention, because uh, actually, because Alex uh, kind of referenced it, is the, the, the broader tapestry of releases around Cyberpunk and how, you know, Cyberpunk is sort of the, the big whale uh, of the end of the year and it leaves ripples in the ocean when it moves. Uh, one example of that is Path of Exile, which is a free-to-play game that's been around for a long, long time, has a big, huge new endgame expansion that was set for release on December 11th, which is one day after the new release date of Cyberpunk 2077, which is coming out December 10th now. Uh, they announced that they will be delaying into January, which is fascinating. The actual statement even straight up says, quote, we do not want to put our players in a position of having to choose between these two games. So we decided to step out of the way and delay the release of Path of Exile 3.13 until January, which I just think is is kind of a really cool thing to do and shows, you know, the freedom of it it, it being a an expansion. It uh, doesn't really necessarily need to uh, be out before Christmas, I guess, is their calculus. But uh, I just thought that was fascinating and interesting, and it shows... As Alex was was noting, this this bigger playing field that is all affected and at, when anything is moved around, so uh, really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, my story of the week, uh, and I, I got to bring this one up because we have Alex here. Is uh, Netflix has announced that there will be an Assassin's Creed live action series coming to Netflix? Um, I'm guessing the success of The Witcher is uh, green lighting a lot of of properties based on video games or at least m- maybe moving along these projects that were probably in in the works for a long long time um but we're getting uh, a an assassin's creed live action show also an assassin's creed animated show uh and it will be uh it, it, it the showrunner has not been decided but uh ubisoft film and television um will have its uh it, its players involved and it's uh creatives involved there to shepherd the show um so alex uh, as somebody that worked on assassin's creed i'm sure it's close to your heart still um do you think it, i i was very excited for the film and i was very disappointed by the film i i don't want to make you you know come down one way or the other on that but i'm i'm i now am now renewed in my hope for a live action version of assassin's creed i wonder what you think um yeah and, and i mean and i can like I, I can give you my opinion on, on the film, and I, oh, I think I think there's um, I think there's a uh, it, it's a it's a very tough you there, there's two ways you can go right it's either you um, you go lore or you go story and if you go lore um, um, and you you have a two hour format. That means you need to compress everything for people to understand what's going on in the world, explain all of the inner workings of the world, and you end up sacrificing story, um, which is, I I think, what happened. Plus, the sacrifices that you make uh, in in introducing the lore itself, because you need to compress it into a two-hour format, that means that it's going to be different than the lore you've established in the game. So you're essentially, you're, you're pissing off your fan base. And at the same time, because you're sacrificing story to cram in lore, the people that are new to it are lost. So you're essentially losing both. And I think that it, it tilted too much in that direction. Whereas I think that 
a TV series is definitely the way to go because it's slow burning and you get to introduce that lore slowly as it should be. And you get to focus on characters and people will get attached to characters. And when, once they've done that and they're in for the ride, that's where they'll be open to absorbing all of those elements. I mean, you know, we, uh, a really good example is, I mean, um, Star Wars episode four. The first one, right? The the film felt very when it was first released, and the audiences felt the film was uh, going at a you know 100 miles an hour. They, they felt it was a fast film. If you watch it mm-hmm. today, it's an extremely slow film. But the thing is, your your brain is taking in so much new stuff. Like today, we know Star Wars. Back then, it was completely new. Everything, every image, every frame was completely brand new. Your brain was you know trying to analyze every detail, trying to take in this world. So. Uh, what you do is you you anchor that on strong, relatable characters. You know, we're rooting for a farmer. That's what we're rooting for. And the story is very simple. It's about save the princess, right? So yeah. because it's very simple and it relies on on these established narrative tropes, you know, the hero's journey, you get to, to ride along and you get to take in the universe. Um, um, so I think in a similar way, by by, you know, doing Assassin's Creed in TV format, I think it will allow allow them to build on strong characters and then to slowly unfold the mythology and, and, and have people, um, you know, assimilate it in uh, 10 hours instead of maybe in two hours. Yeah. Such astute points. I, I love that perspective on it. And it sounds like that's the driving principle behind unknown nine as well, right. Is, is spread the lore out over all these different kinds of delivery devices. And so you can, you know, you don't have to bombard people with it. it you, you get brought into the world in, in different access points, right? Exactly. Yeah. Christian, what do you think? Assassin's Creed live action series? Are you are you in? Yeah, until I'm not, you know, I, I, I feel like the recent adaptation, um, the anime as well of Castlevania and then The Witcher, um, Netflix has most of their series that I think I'll like, I end up liking. Um, there certainly have been some misses along the way, but I, I agree with Alex. And I think that it's a, you know, I've played how many of these games now and understanding the lore and the mythology that goes into all of them and tweaking them. And I think uh, letting that play out as a slow burn over a series is is intriguing. I mean, lo- even looking at The Witcher and the way that show handled it, and I guess technically we should say to everyone yelling at us, it's an adaptation of a book. Uh, not of a right. video game. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, but uh, you know, time jumping and not even explain. It's not like earlier. Now, four years ago, it just lets everything play. And I think again, because of um, largely the simplicity of the storytelling of kill monsters, um, person in trouble, person to save, person in trouble, uh, we're able to go along with that. And then when we see the timelines converge, it becomes interesting. And you're like, oh, what did this happen? What happened here? How does this play out? What does this mean? And so I think that there's a lot of stuff that could be done with Assassin's Creed as well. Um, not knowing anything about this particular project, but like, and how timelines converge and what the modern day maybe means for the past. And are they It'd jumping cool around? To see a, a number of different pasts, right? Yeah. Like, it'd be great if the first season wasn't just like, you know, Renaissance Italy or whatever. It would be no, great this is if where it was we a finally m- get uh, the Eastern setting, right? None of the yeah. games. <laughs> it's going to be the TV right. show. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Assassin's Creed now, and I, you know, I, I think this really could work. And it's interesting to me that I think for years and years, uh, certainly on this show and, and you know, just in general, I think we've all been pointing to, like, what's going to be the the first great 
proof that video games can work as a movie or a, or a TV show can work in other media? Like, what's going to be that thing? And we've been all been waiting. Is this going to be the movie that does it? Is this going to be the one that proves that video games can? And I feel like there wasn't just one thing. There wasn't a moment. It just sort of, it sort of gradually happened. And now I feel like there isn't that expectation or some would call it a curse, you know, that on the, on, on video games, I feel like it, it just sort of arrived. And now it's like, yeah, no, it's of, of course, of course the Witcher works. Uh, you know, of course the, of course the Sonic the Hedgehog movie was good. <laughs> you know, like you could do that. It's fine. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I think this is a, a, a positive, um, the franchise that I think really can work is live action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at the comic book world, uh, it took the longest time for a good comic book movie to be released. And I think the secret behind that is that you need to give a medium time for its like hardcore fans to become um, notable people in the other medium. So when comic books or comic book films were being made by people that didn't respect comic books, uh, I think they were doing their version of, or their interpretations. Right. Like, I want to do this film and okay, I can't make my film because uh, you, you can only, you, you're only giving me a budget for something that has a brand. You're giving me this. So whatever, I'm just going to do whatever the film I want. I'm going to slap this, you know, you know, wrapping on it, this superhero right. wrapping, but I'm going to do my film. It's, it's, you know, Tim Burton's Batman and I'm not judging the film. I actually liked it, more, but, but it was Tim Burton's Batman more than it was right. Batman. Whereas if you look at the generation of, of uh, directors and writers that, that handled uh, the Marvel films, these are, they're hardcore fanboys. I mean, John Favreau, yeah. like all these folks, they, they love the medium. They love the, uh, the comic book medium. They love the, 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 the character. So they, they literally manifested this. And I think the and, same thing. Yeah. And they understood what made yes. them great. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. like, exactly not focusing on all the wrong things. Who cares about that? You know, what, what's the, what's the heart of, what's the heart of Iron Man, right? It's, it's yeah. not the gadgets. It's, you know, Tony Stark. Um, right. And uh, I think the same thing is going to happen for, is happening for video games. The people that are now making these series and these films uh, grew up with the games and have a love and respect for them. And I think that it's, it's going to start showing. Yeah. I, I, that's a great point. I, I think it was, it, it's something we talked about last week when we were talking about, uh, AOC on Twitch, like there, there, there's just a generation that is now aging into having power and, and the ability to, as you say, manifest, uh, these things on a high level and they understand it. They, video games, aren't this foreign thing that they have to grok it is a fundamentally understood part of their own dna as well and so yeah just natural for aoc to play twitch it's natural for you know these these filmmakers to uh, understand video games i think it's a that's an excellent point um all right well let's uh let's jump in and talk about the games that we have been playing but first i want to thank our second sponsor which is quip uh quip is my toothbrush i'm so excited uh i in fact just got a new quip because they have a new toothbrush. When is the last time that you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? Uh, I do now because I have Quip's new smart electric toothbrush where good habits can earn you great perks. Great perks. What's a great perk? Well, for example, free products, gift cards, and stuff not just from Quip itself, but from Quip's partners. It's pretty awesome. So, I know that you've heard me talk about Quip a lot. I really love it. We have four Quip toothbrushes in my house right now. I brush my son's teeth with, with a Quip every night. Uh, soon he will do it himself. Sir, do it yourself. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the new Quip smart brush for both adults and kids 
connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth. I'm so excited about this because this will motivate my son. Uh, and you can track when and how well you brush. You get tips and coaching to improve your habits. And then you earn points for daily brushing or, or bonus points for competing, uh, completing challenges like, uh, like streaks, which is cool. And then you take those points and you redeem them for rewards like free products, gift cards, and discounts which is really cool. You can even upgrade an existing Quip that you may already have with a smart motor that gives you all these new features and that uh, that gamification, which I'm so excited about. Uh, but the, the Quip is so fantastic. The 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 uh, sensitive sonic vibrations that are just great. The two-minute timer that I absolutely love with the 30-second pulses, so I never have to even worry that I'm not doing what doc, uh, d- excuse me dentists recommend. I'm always brushing my teeth now for two minutes, no matter what. I don't lose interest because the toothbrush keeps track for me, which is great. They've got all kinds of stuff at Quip, everything you need to build a complete routine for oral hygiene. Floss that expands to clean. They have uh, mint or watermelon toothpaste with anti-cavity ingredients for strong, healthy teeth. Eco-friendly solar battery chargers. So you don't even have to use batteries uh, on your Quip anymore. You can just power it with sunshine. It's great. Join the 5 million mouths who use Quip, over 5 million, and save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart brush for just 45 bucks. You can start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today by going to getquip.com slash DLC right now and get your first refill free. Your first refill, that's that's a new brush head, that's a new battery, that's a new, uh, that's new toothpaste. It's so simple and so convenient. We'll give it to you for free at getquip.com slash DLC. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash DLC. Quip, better oral health, made simple and rewarding. All right, it is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Uh, Alex, what is on your playlist? I've been playing uh, Ghosts of Tsushima. Yeah, I know Christian is just finished that last week. He loved it. Um, what is your take on Ghost of Tsushima? Um, I love it. Um, I think um, you know I've been for a long time. I've been looking for um, for sort of an open world game uh, based in uh, Japan. I love uh, the mythology. I love uh, I love the the lore, the setting. Um, I think it's a beautiful game. I think it uh, it takes a lot of the best from a lot of the games of that genre. Um, it puts a it's it all together in a, in a very neat package. Um, yeah, I'm really, really, I was, uh, I wasn't intending on playing it. I was just very busy, but a friend of mine really highly recommended it. Says you have, you have to try it. And, uh, I got to admit, I played so far, I must've played about 20 hours and I played half of it in, uh, um, uh, in, uh, Kurosawa mode. Yeah. Christian, you played the whole thing in Kurosawa mode, right? I did start very beginning and then never turned it off until I rolled credits. Um, Beautiful, beautiful game. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, and definitely has some uh, Assassin's Creed DNA, it seems to me. Uh, Certainly learned from that game. Um, But uh, a really striking world. I got to go back to that game. I think I'm going to play it on PlayStation 5. (laughs) I think I'm going to try it on the new system and see how the improvements uh, make it. But um, too many people... I I don't know why I bounced off of it so much, but... um, I got to return to that game because everybody loves it. the raids are out now as yeah. well. Um, oh. I was watching some folks play them. I have not tried it myself yet. I've been busy playing other games that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, 
but I, I was watching a stream. I was like, oh, I want to watch this. I was like, oh, this looks amazing. And then I did some stuff. I think I did like laundry and dishes and came back and it was like hour five and they were still on the same chapter. And I was like, this looks amazing. And I don't know if I'll ever do this. <laughs> like, is this too long? I mean, yeah, they're, you know, full on, you know, the best or longest of destiny style. It doesn't look like they cheapened or shortened that what people would expect from a raid style experience in any way, shape or form. And, Right now, yeah, I don't know if I have the time to sit down and do like a four-hour, five-hour single-game session. Yeah. Still cool that all that is free and it's it's, it's really amazing. turning the game into something else. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. What, a, what, a, what a project, what a product that they put out. Um, Sucker Punch. Very, very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, what's on your playlist? Yeah, so I'll give a quick uh, Elgato update. I talked about it a little bit last week. I have my stream deck up and running. Um I love this thing. I'm sure I'm going to tweak it more. I'm trying to get my streaming setup uh, ready for next gen. Uh, I don't know why I, I sat so long on adapting uh, a stream deck to my setup, just like the large macros. And I by no means have the fanciest setup going right now, but it just, I love things that take it off of a mouse click, you know, like needing to go into OBS or whatever you're using. And okay, I'm going to mute this and do this. Everything is just, hot keyed the way I want it. So it's like, Oh, I'm going to go live now. And I want this to happen. I just push this one button. Cause I spent the time putting the macros together to make it all happen and work. And I'm the type of person that enjoys that process as well. It's like, okay, so when I have, when I do this, what are all the things I want? Let me program it. Let me test it. Okay. It's not doing this right. Okay. Let me run this back. I'm going to program it like that itself is a fun game. Like maybe there already is one. Someone could release like stream deck the game, kind of like how there's uh what's that bus driving game that always gets played on uh, <laughs> like extra life streams, um, like Penn oh, and yeah, Teller. Bus, <laughs> bus simulator or whatever it is. <laughs> Where you like yeah. it drifts and you have to keep your hand on the D-pad. Um, I really like it. I really like it. I think that if you even dabble in streaming um, or otherwise need macros i know i have friends use it for premiere and, and other things as well um i highly recommend a stream deck it's just simplicity that erases some headache from a workflow and to me that is always worth you know an, an entry price to get into it um so i love it i absolutely love it the 4k 60s i've, I've yet to really put through its paces because my ps5 is not here yet um but I rewired uh, my desk and have a very clean looking setup now. So I'm very excited <laughs> for that, but I'll have more to say on that uh, next week. And then, man, I, hi, Elgato, please feel free to sponsor me. Uh, they, they launched the Epic Cam Pro. They also have a free version, which I know there are other apps available for this too, but I like how it just plugs into their ecosystem. I've talked about it enough um, of all their other stuff I've bought that's made sense for me. And it turns your phone into a webcam, right? And so it can be wired or wireless. And with the run-up on webcams now because of COVID and everybody working from home, I really like smart solutions like this where phones have incredible cameras on them now. It's not, you know, a flip phone camera or a Game Boy, <laughs> Game Boy camera that you're using. Um, it can really make a difference to have your camera not attached to the screen of your monitor. You can put it somewhere, get a better angle. It works with most web conferencing softwares, OBS, and the paid version, uh, I think is eight bucks. That's what I, I bought. Um, it allows you to do a little higher frame rate and get rid of some watermarks and, and toy with things and tweak some settings. But there also is a free version if you want to try it. 
and so far I'm super happy with it. I'm using it as a second angle, um, and, uh, uh, and collaborating with friends to like show like, um, hand-drawn pages and stuff like that. Really, really cool. Uh, Epic cam pro is a new Elgato product in your phone's app store. Um, so those aren't, those are things I've been playing with, <laughs> not so much <laughs> games I've been playing. I'll save one cause I know we both been playing it. Uh, so I'll talk about watchdogs in a second, but with cyberpunk getting a, a little bit of a delay and you're craving that cyberpunk fix, I cannot recommend ghost runner enough. It is a game that was on my radar for a little bit. A free demo came out and then, um, I saw the the full release getting rave reviews and I was like, okay, I need, I need to try this. I need to play this game. I had a $10 coupon still on the Epic game store that helped knock the price down a little bit, uh, for me And ghost runner. If you don't know anything about it, it is, um, a first person precision platformer. Uh, you know, think Celeste meets mirror's edge. And to me, yeah, as, yeah, Mirror's Edge, like or like N plus or something, or or yes. even Super Meat Boy in a weird way, yeah, uh, in first person, yeah, yes, one hit kills you, one hit kills enemies, um, and as someone who played the Mirror's Edge sequel but did not finish it, and as someone who can't remember if they finished the first Mirror's Edge because it was so long ago, this this is what that sequel should have been. To me, Ghost Runner distills down that first and i haven't finished ghost runner yet i i die a lot (laughs) um but it really distills down that first person platforming experience in a way that is cohesive and doesn't get bogged down with some of the things that in my opinion both mirror's edge games kind of got stuck with with like picking up a gun or slowing you down for a moment and not making the path necessarily clear and there also only being one way to do things and leading to frustrations and longer than desired reloads and checkpoints i'm playing on pc uh with ray tracing which is uh beautiful absolutely beautiful and it does all of those things that these um you know precision platformer games have have done in the past and it's learned from them where the music is amazing and it doesn't stop when you die so it's not like oh, well, I got to wait for this song to reload. Now I'm back at the beginning. It's kind of, it keeps looping to keep pulling you back in. It comes back. As soon as you die, you're back where you, you know, at that checkpoint to run it again. And every time I die a lot, it feels like, oh, I just, I needed to, if I only would have, like it, it's it's fair and it's frustration and it's difficulty. And then my mind is putting together a different run. Like, oh, okay, well, there is a wall over and I could grapple the, well, let's try that. No, it didn't work. Then, okay, I'm go back to my original line. Okay, oh, got a shot off. Okay, it's because I I I used my slowdown at the wrong time. Okay, I'm gonna do this. Okay, one, just one. I'm just gonna finish this checkpoint. Then I'm done. Okay, well, I got through that checkpoint. That was pretty easy. I'm I'm doing pretty good. Let's just do two more checkpoints, and it kind of keeps pulling you through, and the speed in which the game moves, along with the uh, I think you can turn off the gore, but it's still a a violent game. You are a cyber ninja, and you're just Kataniing people, just slicing them in half, running them, running up on them, jumping off a wall, grappling over, sliding down a ramp. Before they turn around and have a time to get a shot off, you're cutting their head off, and then before you even you know revel in that victory, you're dashing to the next person in order to make the next thing happen. Just absolutely exquisite gameplay. The only caveat I would throw out uh, for Ghost Runner is for me, I have to reset my brain because. It is very trigger dependent. And I think if I remember correctly, Mirror's Edge was this way as well, where you're pretty much always using um, 
all four trigger buttons. So you can keep your thumbs on the stick. It assumes that, you know, most people aren't playing with paddles. And so that, that takes me like 10, 15 minutes getting back into it. Cause most games I play, I I'm not using exclusively to trigger as a jump. For example, it's just like, yeah. just that little bit of mental gymnastics to be like, no, this is aim. <laughs> you know, this isn't jump. This isn't wall run. Um, but when you get into that flow of using just all four triggers, um, it does allow you to keep your thumbs on the stick. And again, I'm playing on PC. I had read that maybe on, on PS4, there were some issues at launch. I hadn't followed it, but it is, it is phenomenal. And I, I really cannot recommend it enough. I, I fear it will be a game that is overlooked, but Ghost Runner is just, if you like, yeah, Meat Boy, N+, Celeste, Mirror's Edge, um, a cyberpunk aesthetic, um, that kind of driving uh, synth music. It, it everything it does it does really really well it's phenomenal i'm pretty sure i told you about this one way long ago and said it's your jam and i'm pretty sure you ignored me but no i'm pretty sure i said i don't have time for it right now <laughs> yeah yeah anyway that's ghost runner uh it is uh, i think it's what 1999 it's, it's a lower price point right yeah i don't know the exact price but i know that it's not a 60 dollar retail well you sold me i'm gonna i'm gonna download it on playstation later yeah, it's, it's pretty it, great. It's it pretty looks great. beautiful too, man. It really looks beautiful. Um, all right, let's talk about Watch Dogs Legion because both of you and I uh, got codes for this game and have been playing it. Um, uh, both of us on PC using uh, ray tracing, which uh, I mean, the game on a technical level, Watch Dogs Legion is astounding. Is astounding as somebody who is old enough to sort of have lived the entire lifespan of video games it's just i i I marvel at where we've arrived you know the fact that watchdogs legion and you know it's not particularly special in this case but just the 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 density and level of detail that we have in these big open world games now i just can't even it's hard for me to fathom that this is a possible thing that we've created and the added layer of being able to recruit anybody in the game. And I, you know, we start the game and it says, Hey, pick up your starting person. And there's like, I don't know, two dozen people there perhaps that I could choose from. And all of them have voice acting. That's a different voice that all does exactly. It's just like, it boggles the mind, the, the complexity of, of the world and just walking down the street and hopping in any car. And I mean, obviously you've been doing that since GTA three, but just how great this world looks and how much is in it and how every single character has details that can be then, you know, recruited and brought into your team and they all have quests and stuff. It's just, I'm astounded on a technical level, what watchdogs Legion is, but I yeah, think Christian, and- you and I both agree that it, 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 it feels a little hollow beyond that. Yeah, I mean, to echo your first part of that real quick, like it it, it flips the script on what an NPC is, right? It's like every yeah. NPC is playable. Well, then it's not an NPC. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. PC. Um, and that is astounding. And it's not every, you know, you can't just like walk up to some boss or whatever and be like, recruit, did it, <laughs> and game over. But for all intents and purposes, what you would consider NPCs in other games, you can recruit them and and play as them and bring them over. And that is astonishing. Uh, again, playing on PC with our 3080s, the, the ray tracing is, to me, maybe this will be my um, 
uh, Jeff bad Mario take here incoming. But uh, I think ray tracing, this, that's the weird part. And then HDR are bigger than uh, 4K and other improvements. Oh, like I it's agree. A, it's a, ray tracing is a type of thing that if you just kind of walk in and someone has it on, you won't be like, whoa, next, oh, unbelievable. But then if you see that side by side, it's like, oh my, oh my gosh. Like the first things I did was just playing with it to see what reflects. And it's like, yeah, they did a good job without ray tracing. But then you turn it on, it's like, oh, I see traffic in mirrors and windows and myself. And I see reflections of cars on my reflection of my car. And yeah, just- the, the car, the, the hood of the car, or I think the very first car I got into had a sunroof, which was really reflective. And driving down the London streets, which is what you do in Watch Dogs Legion, and seeing all of the skyscrapers and, and all of the pedestrians reflected in the, you know, the third person camera looking at the sunroof of this car that I'm driving. It's like, what? It, yeah. it, it really, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing. Yeah, it, it just adds to that immersion. And it, it's, it's a realism in a way that, yes, you would see yourself in this reflection. And more importantly, if I'm running toward a building, I can see people are still chasing me, <laughs> you know, from a reflection in a window. Yeah. Um, it's it's really phenomenal. And that that technical prowess of the game, it just it just blows me away. Um, I do agree with you that I, I find, unfortunately, I find the gameplay itself. Let me let me rephrase it. I think the n- narrative, the mainline missions of the game, feel hollow to me. I think there's the, a lot of fun to be had in the game, but it would ask the player to find it. Um, if you really kind of geek out over recruiting and, you know, oh, I'm going to get this person to do this, to set up this wacky situation with this, and going to fly a construction dr- drone over here to do this and see if the this sandbox breaks. element yes. of it. Yeah. I, I think that could be hours of fun. The, the narrative critical path, I find, unfortunately, it doesn't do anything as great as I want it to. And it bogs itself down, making me do things that I'm not interested in doing. Oh, control this spider bot for the next 20 minutes. Well, no, no one would green light spider bot game. Like it's a cool feature for me to have fun with it. Some go recruit this specific person to do this thing. And that person isn't going to be great for a while, but you need it. Well, no, that's not- well, I think I think on, actually it it refers back to something that Alex was talking about earlier with regard to how you bring people into a narrative world and using strong characters to do that. It's sort of they were sort of the the concept is such a mind boggling one and such an ambitious one and such a cool one on paper, but by virtue of the fact that you can pick anyone and do anything, you've basically just lost any character for me to get attached to like everybody it's almost a god game at this point because every character is expendable every character is replaceable no character really means anything you're you're just sort of playing the idea of characters rather than anybody's strong story and it's interesting that you're uh, it's interesting what you're uh, what you're saying because I, I i know the creative director of this game uh, it, it's clint hawking we made far cry 2 together um and by the way i love far cry 2 i love that game anyway go ahead and and it's super interesting because um <clears throat> i haven't i haven't spoken to clint in a, in a little while and uh, certainly not about uh, about 
um, watchdogs. But <clears throat> if I know, if I know him, um, you know, I remember these discussions we used to have back when we were, we were making Far Cry 2 uh, about, do you remember the games, XCOM, the original XCOM games, mm-hmm. like Terror from the Deep? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, wasn't, it wasn't a narrative game. It was a game where you had this hub and then you were sent on missions all over the world. Uh, and you right. had these generic characters that you would name and people would end up naming them like your friends and then... Um, it would die permanently. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and you would have you would have these experiences where you, you would be telling people about these stories that you were having in missions. And these stories that you were telling your friends were stories that you – this was being generated by you. I, you know, we, we landed, you know, but as we landed, we got flanked. And like this one guy that I really love, he's been with me on three missions. You know, he's about to get killed. And then this guy that never gets one damn bullet straight, like, is able to, you know, kill. And you were making up these stories that were completely unique to, to, to you. And these characters, which were essentially just generic NPCs that you named, became these heroes in your story. And the feeling that I get is that, and I'm, I mean, like, uh, I'm pretty sure this is this is what Clint was going for, is that this is what he was trying to create. He was trying to create a situation where, the the main story is something that I think, um, especially because of the Ubisoft's DNA, it's something that you have to have. But I think that where I think that Clint was aiming the game to be, it was more in that sandbox. It's all about you um, creating characters out of a generic character. You create a memorable character for your own experience, and you create your own crew, and you you're able to uh, to you know, craft your own story through the city of London, which I'll even say like on Assassin's Creed Unity, that's sort of what I really tried pushing for. I mean, we, like we, we, um, you know, we should have had a little bit more time to, to actually pull it off the way that I envisioned it. But if you look at the way that the game is set up for the first time, you could go into buildings. You, there, there was, you know, hundreds of missions, there were murder mysteries. So the game for me was always in, and like, I don't want to denigrate the main story because I did focus a lot on that because it is Assassin's Creed and there's a legacy and you need to get that right. But where I really thought the game was innovating was um, its city. Um, for me, the French Revolution wasn't about Arnaud's story. It was about the story that each player would carve through the city of Paris. And that's what the revolution is. It's not a one singular thing. It's many different actions during many different events that that right. generate your own experience with it. So I think that this is what uh, Watchdog Legion tries to push even further. It's this idea that we've built a systemic city. And through that systemic city, you can essentially carve your own uh, experience and you you can choose your own protagonists. You can build up your own protagonists. And if you look at it through that lens, I think it's, it's, uh, it's quite an achievement. I agree. And I think part of it is too, and I have not finished the game. Um, I get lost turning off and on ray tracing (laughs) for hours. (laughs) Um, But the protagonist is also dead sec and your interaction with, you know, the leaders of dead sec and kind of them driving what everyone does. And I, I, I do think there is a lot of fun to be found in that. I I think, and I don't know how you solve for this. I I don't have a solution, unfortunately, but it is that tightrope of allowing the player to do so many things and be so many places but then also if you're playing through the campaign requiring certain things to happen and necessitating that 
things are done. And there's, you know, you can attack a, a mission various ways, you know, a brute force or try to be a stealth or use some drones or, or something like that. But it, it, it kind of wrestles with keeping the moment to moment engaging while also telling its, I, I think, story of if you want to affect change, every, we all need to come together and do something. So it has like these large, I think, lofty ambitions and goals and, and statements about the world and, and what to do and how to do things. But then you also hear them as uh, someone cursing as you walk by about like making a flippant joke about systemic oppression. And it's like, well, hmm. that's hmm. tonally odd. Is that a joke or is oh, 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 okay? Yeah, okay. We all got to come together to do this change. But then when I recruit somebody, it's like, okay, well, I need to get a uh, whatever, a um, janitor. Uh, so I'm going to find someone in uh, waste management and I'm going to recruit them. And then it's like, you recruit them and it's like, you know what? I've heard DedSec does some pretty bad stuff. You guys are terrorists. And then the person you're playing is like, we're not. And I bet we can prove it. Okay. Well, my brother Mike does owe me money. If you get that money for me, I'll join you. And you're like, I'll get that money for you. Then you get the, you do this little mission. It's like, here's that money your brother owed you. Sweet. Where do I sign up for dead sec? It's like, that's not. I've talked to my uncle a lot these past few months, and it's not that easy. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have those problems with it. I, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I mean, I. I you try writing 400 side quests, to get, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, I, I have no it's solutions incredible that there's. I have no solutions. The, the, I think what Alex was saying is, is so interesting and so provocative. It, it challenges me on how I feel about this game because I agree 100%. I think I do get those experiences with XCOM and other games, and I do understand that that, is the goal here. And I think I, I agree with you, Christian, that there is a lot to like about this game and it is, there's fun to be had. And I'm trying to kind of hone in on what exactly doesn't quite line up for me. And I think it might be the idea that you're creating a team, but you're never using a team, right? You're, you're creating a, a, a series of tools, but you only ever use one tool at a time. And I think that in, XCOM, for example, I have this team that I put out on the field and it is super valuable that one part of the team helps another team. You know, I want to have uh, a sniper character. I want to have sort of a healing character. I want to have I want to have characters that play well with each other. And because of their utility, I think losing them perhaps has more impact and maybe it's, I, I'm just kind of talk, talking this through, but maybe it, the feeling that I'm getting with Watch Dogs is, yes, I've got these these tools in my arsenal, and yes, I select the right tool for the mission, but I don't ever feel like in the context of the mission, being that one particular character is vital. I feel like I could have gone through here with a number of characters, and that, of course, is the case and had to be the case, right? They had to make these missions attackable from many different angles, but I don't ever feel in the context of the mission that if I lost this character, it would be as, you know, devastating or as impactful as losing a character in XCOM is for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's fascinating. And, and I, again, I'm so amazed by the game and I think it's an, 
it's an extraordinary game. And uh, just, you know, just being in the city, the city is vibrant and full of life and you can go into so many different buildings and it's all seamless. And you, you know, it, it does feel like there's this secret underground uh, layer of intrigue. You know, you have what is basically a normal London and then, you know, just behind the, you know, you pull a lever in a bar and you go behind the, the counter and you see a thing. All of that stuff is super neat. And there's a lot to like about the game. It just it just doesn't pull me forward. And I also, you know, I will also say just tonally, like the world that we're living in now makes me not really want to be in a world where yeah. <laughs> it's a little maybe a little too close to home is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, so it's often the case that. when 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 things are going really well, people like uh, post apocalyptic entertainment. <laughs> right. When when things are are hitting the post the apocalypse, I think people like yeah. uh, positive spin on stuff. Yeah, when when we're when we're when we're just barely pre-apocalypse, I, I don't want to play post-apocalypse. Yeah. Let's yeah. just say I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, Alex. But somehow I'm going to link to this episode of the podcast to get me into your fair country, uh, depending on how. Things, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I work there. How exactly uh, this podcast? Obviously, this this, this podcast. <laughs> I'll edit out this uh, part where I say that that's what I'm doing. Um, but otherwise, smart, smart. They'll never be able to figure it out. <laughs> um. All right. Well, uh, man. Alex has been so awesome having you on the show. I just have been loving talking to you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But this is going to be the end of the show. Uh, Alex Amancio, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Can you tell folks where they can keep up with you and Reflector and Unknown Nine? <clears throat> yeah, you can go to unknown9.com or reflector.com, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, um, all the social uh, media, Facebook. Everything. Awesome. Are you able to say, do we think this is a 2021 game or do you, do you think it's farther out than that? Um, we'll be announcing it soon. <laughs> okay. Fair we'll enough. Too long. Well, okay. well played. Well played. Uh, Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Ah! Yeah. Um, pretty I much think, that, right? I think is basically it. Um, <laughs> uh, Twitter's the best way to keep in touch at Spicer. Um, and then my hope is with new consoles, um, and then when I get the PS5 here to stream through Miles Morales. So that would be twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And I usually stream this show uh, live Sundays at 7.15 p.m. Pacific time as well. Um, and then vote. Go vote. Go vote. Vote, 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 yeah, vote, hey, vote. Bring a friend. You, Go vote. If you are listening to this podcast in line to vote... That is the hugest compliment for us. Please let us know on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata. He's at Spicer. Let us know that you listened to the show, that we helped you uh, while away the time that you have to potentially spend. And hopefully your your wait is not very long. But I suspect if you're voting on Tuesday here in the United States that you may have to wait. So uh, we'd love to know. We'd love to know that we helped uh, spend the, then the time in line. Uh, hopefully you have already voted if you're listening to this. And uh, if not, please consider voting. There are actually a number of states that you can register and vote on the same day. So check into that. Iwillvote.com is a great place to uh, find out all of the things you need to know to make sure you can. Yeah. And the only thing I'm doing is I'm going to research this game called Hades that no one's told me about that I want to look into. How so. dare you? <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> I uh, I can be reached, as I said, at Jeff Kanata. You can... 
Email the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com if you've got any comments or questions. Uh, we love hearing from you. We love hearing your feedback on the show. dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those emails. Uh, if you want to hear me on other shows, I have a number of them for you to check out, including the Slash Filmcast, where I talk about movies and TV shows. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, I'm doing a stream about uh, football now as well. Uh, you can find that on Thursdays uh, at 3 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash FCF for fan-controlled football. And uh, I mentioned already the Dungeon Run, my long-form Dungeons & Dragons show. I'm very, very proud of it. We're doing something absolutely crazy right now with the narrative. It is uh, it is wild. We've We've split the show into two parts. It's really incredible. And the end of last week was one of the most pulse-pounding, incredible moments we've ever had. I urge you to check out the show. Uh, if you want to watch a player just absolutely work a problem by herself, it just was extraordinary to see in a high-stakes, under-pressure, amazing. So check out The Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. Uh, we are also an audio podcast. It works really well as an audio podcast, kind of like an audio book. You can find it by searching for The Dungeon Run anywhere you get podcasts. Also, if you want to watch live, we record Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Alex, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I've been uh, discovering, uh, I've been trying to find things to do uh, during confinement, and uh, I've just discovered French New Wave. Um, Cinema, right? Yeah. Cinema, yeah. And uh, I actually have two films that people should check out. One is called Le Samurai, which means, obviously, The Samurai. Um, It's a uh, fantastic film. Um, It's by uh, Melville. Um, a second one, Elevator to the Gallows by Truffaut. Uh, and that one also has one of the most amazing soundtracks in any film. It's by Miles Davis. You wow. really should check it out. Where uh, were you able to find these? Are they, are they streaming anywhere? Ah, uh, you can, you can, uh, I rented them on, uh, on, um, uh, Apple TV. Apple TV. Fantastic. Very, very cool. Uh, I've never seen either of those and i need to rectify that situation uh i've i've seen some trufo but never elevator to the gallows but that sounds really cool um pretty good the first christian, one is in color second one is in black and white awesome christian spicer how about you you got a parting gift i do it it wrapped i think the last issue came out was it last week um and i'm still kind of getting my head around it but the three jokers which is i guess technically not canon it's part of the dc what do they call it dc knights they always change that kind of mature offshoot imprint label um but three jokers it's three somewhat longer issues addressing this idea in the batman lore that there are multiple jokers and have been multiple jokers and uh without giving away any of the specifics of of this arc um it kind of lends itself to the um decades of the joker and how the character has kind of changed as the character of batman has changed and the different incarnations of joker we've seen from killing joke and death in the family and um 
golden age comics and the way it, it handles who and what the Joker is and the, the mystery surrounding the character and its interactions with Batman and Gotham, I find very interesting. I, I'd love to see this series be incorporated into kind of mainline Batman canon, at least for a little while, because I think it's, it's long-term ramifications could be fun to see played out. But right now there are three issues out. It's called Three Jokers. It's a complete standalone story. Um, if you've read uh, Killing Joke, it will probably mean the most to you. Um, so I'd recommend probably Death in the Family and Killing Joke before going in. Um, but those are still fun stories, if slightly problematic today versus when they came out. Um, but Three Jokers is um, three issues right now, and it is phenomenal. It's worth the read. Very cool. Uh, my parting gift, uh, the very fine folks over at Shell Games who make Until You Fall which is a very awesome VR game. Uh, if you have just purchased a Quest 2 by any chance, uh, I highly recommend you check out Until You Fall. It's basically a roguelike, first-person roguelike sword battling game, almost kind of a rhythm game as well. Just really, really fantastic game. Uh, but they sent over to me the soundtrack as a gift, which I w- was so delighted to receive. The soundtrack of Until You Fall on vinyl and I have been rocking it. This is uh, music uh, composed by Daniel Cohen. And it is a really awesome synthy, they call it, I think they call it sword wave. <laughs> um, synthy, uh, driving, you know, electronic music. I am just super into it, digging it. And uh, highly recommend you both check out the game and the soundtrack uh, until you fall. I think you can get the soundtrack digitally as well. But uh, this vinyl is beautiful. And uh, I'm grateful they sent it over because. Uh, I listened to the music while I was playing the game, but I didn't really pay attention to it because I was getting attacked by monsters a lot. Um, you know, you kind of just let it wash over you. And when listening to it uh, on its own really gave me a new appreciation for it. So I, uh, I highly recommend checking it out until you fall the soundtrack. All right, we got a listener suggested parting gift as well. This was sent to us from Steve, a.k.a. Bear underscore Stampede on the Discord. Hey, Steve. Uh, This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Steve writes, hi, guys. It was my birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Steve. And I have a tradition that I started seven years ago that has served me well over those years. You guys have a lot of music recommendations, which are great. And my recommendation is music related, but it isn't a specific song or band. It's what I call a birthday playlist. Every year on my birthday, I make a new playlist that is a repository for songs that are meaningful to me throughout the year. It's not necessarily a playlist of songs I like, but ones that are special to me. While it is mostly my favorite songs of the year, and I do listen to it plenty, songs that I may not think are good do make it on there from time to time. They were great in the moment, but I don't care to listen to them over and over like I would want in a normal playlist. For example, the song Easy Rider by Taj Mahal is on my playlist from when I was 32, six years ago. While it's a pretty good song, it's not exactly one that I would seek out to play all the time. However, I can tell you the exact moment when I first heard it, what my emotional state was, and where I was exactly in space and time. And now I can go back and find the song whenever I want and pull up that memory. This year, it took me no time at all to find a song to add to my brand new playlist. Last night, I was using my new Quest 2 and downloaded YouTube VR. After watching a bunch of 360-degree geology videos, YouTube recommended the short film Pearl. And it is wonderful. It is just the length of one song. It's basically just a very, very well-done 
360-degree music video made for VR. The song was immediately added to my playlist after watching. Not only is it a song I like, but it's tied to a strong memory of this wonderful film. So I got to sneak in another parting gift. Go watch Pearl in either 2D or VR. Thank you for being the only podcast I listen to since working from home. Uh, thank you, Steve. What a cool, cool idea. The birthday playlist as a as a as almost like a time capsule of uh, memories uh, attached to music. Very, very cool. If you'd like your parting gift read on the show, send it to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Alex Amancio and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumpers. We appreciate it. Thank you to everyone that listened live in real time, making the show better. We appreciate you as well. And thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.